Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential here at earsports.com. My name is Mike Casaza. You can hear me pristine quality of audio today. Chris Anderson, I've joined the Euro Club. Welcome. Welcome to welcome to internet in the 21st century, Mike. We're glad to have you. It's um it's refreshing. I don't have to worry about it now. Like we did these things for a long long time where you can't tell, but I was kind of crossing my fingers on things. And then just last week, it went bad, and I could not fix it and get it any better in the house. I live in like an old 95-year-old house, lots of plaster. We've had to redo some of the, the air vents and the ducts and everything, and there's a lot of aluminum in the basement, which is where my office is. And I I knew it wasn't conducive for a long, long time, but it really died on me there. And I want to thank everybody who solicited information and advice, offers of routers, um, offers of extra Google pods, presumably not for free, but at least they didn't want me to go to the store. That's kind of fun looking out for me in the COVID era. But now I have exceptional Wi-Fi, and I feel like I feel like I have like a new car, or even a new home right now. Is it supposed to be like this? I think so. I had I had to do the same thing. I got the Orbi, I think is is what it's called, mm-hmm. and it was just all of a sudden amazing. Uh, just a drastic difference in where I could access internet in my house and, and just never a drop off. Like it used to be that I'd, I'd walk from one, one room to the other. Cause the, the internet in our house was hardwired in through into a closet, our hall, our front hall closet. So it's immediately the router is just inside of four walls center of that. It's in the center of the house, but it's inside of four walls closed off. And I was like, this is, this was not very well thought out. I, I don't know what they were thinking here, but. Um, it is a difference maker, and, and I'm glad you got it. Now people can hear me talk even more. <laughs> it's what the world needs. Yes. Um, important game tomorrow? Is that understating it? It feels like when these two teams get together, there's either everything on the line or nothing on the line for one or both of the teams. I was looking back, and like a lot of them have been significant for you know memorable outcomes, but also one or both the teams have been ranked and, and working towards something here. This feels like it's kind of in the middle, but certainly whomever comes out with this one on Saturday, they're going to say this game had a whole lot on the line, which makes me think that the same is true for the team that doesn't win the game. Thereby meaning this is an important game. Let me answer your question with another question. Is the team that loses today automatically eliminated for the rest for any Big 12 championship game hopes? I think so, because three losses is going to be tough. I think a three-loss team is going to get in, but Texas controls its fate, which is not something that West Virginia can say, which makes me think that if Texas loses and some crazy things happen, it would be the best three-loss team. So I don't know about that. I haven't gone that that far down the rabbit hole. I wouldn't be surprised if we have a three-loss team in Dallas, would you? Uh, No, I wouldn't. I think we we got two... Two big one-loss teams right now, and that's Iowa State and Kansas State. And uh, I feel they, confident in saying that Kansas State is going to lose at least, probably at least two more. Um, but yeah, I think I think obviously you're definitely going to. I think you're definitely going to see. Oh no, Oklahoma State too. I'm sorry, they just have three three wins because they had that one game delayed. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of a lot of tiebreakers. I know everybody really loves tiebreakers, and I think that's what we're going to get to. Oklahoma State gets Kansas State this week and Oklahoma next week, so who knows? They they might be at three losses before long. Yeah. I'd be surprised if they lost tomorrow to Kansas State. I just don't like what I saw out of Kansas State, and that defense that Oklahoma State has is pretty good. Um, feels like Oklahoma's coming back. Yeah. 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 I, I think they're hit. I, no, I think they've definitely hit their stride. I think they kind of worked the kinks out and now, you know, I feel like they're showing like they are the best team in the league. Figure their running game out too, it looks like as well. Yeah. Yeah. And well and it helps getting um oh man, what's is it, Stevenson, the the running back or that was suspended for the first few games of the year. He finally makes his way back and and they're really rolling now. He can play. Wow. It's nice to have a guy like that just on the shelf. I mean Poor reasons, I understand, but man, when you can just break the glass and get a guy like him on the field, that'll that'll make you right in a couple areas for sure. Yeah, yep, helps. Um, writing about this, I'm going to write about this. I think it comes out today. West Virginia probably tapped out on offense. Really can't add anybody. Defense, we saw Bryce Brand briefly 
we'll probably see Sean Martin too. He played, I believe, just on special teams. But that's about it there. They may get Taj Austin. They'll probably get Vanderis Count before the season is over. But not not far from the end of the rope there too. They really can't add a whole lot as far as people. There's good evidence that we're seeing they're adding to what the people can do. So they're not putting more people on the field, but they're putting more on the field that the same people can do. Are we seeing a team that you know can't add a whole bunch of players, but is adding what players adding to what players can do to make their offense and defense better? I.e. Middle linebacker Akeem Mesador, Winston Wright running all over the place, tight ends becoming more involved. It seems like they're doing what they can in an unconventional way. Yeah, I think that they're making the adjustments, which is always always a positive sign, always something you're looking for from a coaching staff. They're making adjustments to to fit what their team is capable of doing and what they're doing well and scheming around it. And uh, I think, you know, the question is, is this the – have we read uh, how close are or is West Virginia in this offense? Jared Dagey, uh, different the different receivers. How close are they and and defenders? How close are they to the ceiling? Is there much more potential from where they're at? And that is what's going to determine how West Virginia finishes the rest of the year because I think they're starting to hit their stride too. Just like we talked about Oklahoma hitting theirs, I think this off the defense is defense has been in stride all season long, but the offense is is picking things up. I have a theory for you. Go. Well, two theories. One, tell me if I'm wrong here. The best, yes. but also wor- oh. <laughs> <laughs> the best, but also worst thing for West Virginia would be to get a comfortable lead, and I'm talking like twenty to seven, twenty-one ten. You know, a significant cushion. That's good because they're they're really good when they're out in front. They've strangled a couple teams. They've gotten a lead this year, and. Texas is kind of scary when they have a deficit. I don't know what happens, but Ellinger kind of goes sandlot. They start flipping around and doing crazy things. The next thing you know, they're back in the game. That's been what they've done this year when they've gotten back in the game. So um, I obviously want to have a lead, but man, I feel like that's when Texas really gets going. So how do you sabotage the start of the game? Let me uh, change my sports here for a second. My renowned theory, it's being studied at the Sloan Analytics Conference, I've been told. On the basketball court, start your five best shooters and have them just fire away. See who makes a couple. First media timeout, maybe even before that, sub to your you know your traditional lineup. But keep your proven shooters from the start of the game in there. So you're going to find out who's hot that day. Why don't you start Austin Kendall or Gary Green, if you'd like, and then bring Daigie out of the bullpen because he's been dynamite in the middle of games lately too his numbers like second quarter on are incredible he's had good games but he's just kind of been a little bit slow at the start hasn't been you know perfect hasn't been as crisp but against texas tech and against kansas state he's gotten on a roll why is he so good in the middle of the games i have no idea because he's he has been terrible might be strong but some of the throws that you see in the in the first quarter have have not been great they've really kind of killed this Again, we can't stress how important these scripted plays are at the beginning of the game. These are the games, the plays. I think this is what frustrates and confuses me so much. These are the plays you practice all week long in order to perfect them, and they're drawn up around your skill set to uh, for you to maximize uh, what happens from them. And Diggy seems to not be able to do that. And then now that you know, once you get off the scripted plays, all of a sudden. He's ready to roll, so it's 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 a strange dynamic there. I I know you're joking. I know you're trying to get uh, you know top board post again on the content recap with your huge <laughs> news or whatever it was that you got. Uh, I just go ahead go ahead and type it up on the board right now. Why not start Garrett Green by Mike Casaza? Question mark. Just put it up there. Go yeah, for it. He, he's the six man. He's the microwave. He's Vinny Johnson. He's Tariq Phillip. He's Jay Sean Page. He's gonna get a uh, he's gonna get on the heater here. And here's what I mean. Texas Tech, he starts 6 of 12, and that game did not go swimmingly for everybody. So he starts 6 of 12, and then you look down later in the game, put your math on here, 21 for 29. He goes 15 for 17. He hits eight in a row at one point. And that's in the middle part of the game when he's had a possession, he's seen it, whatever. And then against Kansas State, starts off, we have 7 of 13, 9 of 16, Next thing you know, he's 18 for 25. He hits 10 in a row. 
I don't know. Maybe he's like that guy on the bench who's been off starting on the bench. He sees the game. He gets a feel for the way it's being called. All that stuff. That stuff you hear like a really good bench player in basketball say. Maybe Dickie's better coming off the bench. Not going to happen, but I, I do want to have offer an appreciation for You know, he has played well. I think people are maybe too hung up on the start because when you sit down and watch a football game, especially a West Virginia game, you're tuned into that quarterback. And when he's wobbling some passes and missing some throws and he's 6 of 12, you're conditioned to go, oh, my gosh, not again. I mean, look, at the end of the day, he's got 300 yards three games in a row. His completion percentage has been high 60s every time. His adjusted completion percentage has been over 70, which means when guys catch the ball, the offense is good. I don't know. I, I, I like the way he's playing. Um, and I, I kind of like the Texas defense as being uh, accommodating at home against A.E.N.'s targets. I think next on Tuesday, if this trend continues, you should make this one of the media's four questions we get during our weekly press conference. I good think, research. I think, I think it should be one. It is. That is good research by you, Mike. That is good. Oh God, that's not gonna. That's never gonna stop. Have you tattooed it on yourself yet? No, I'm going to Wild Zero this week and I get the, <laughs> uh, the 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 ink. Um, also, did you happen to catch Parker's response to my question about? Which okay, um, I asked him about basically what luxuries do the tight ends give him? Oh yeah. Because they are playing faster now. You can tell they're playing faster. They're snapping it a lot, but they are, they're doing it with a little bit of pace now. And you can tell, like, oh, Lachlan is an H-back. He's in the backfield. He's out wide. He's in the slot. They're keeping 11 personnel in the field, and they're playing different formations. And I kind of loosely asked something along those lines, and he's basically, like, staring at the, the Zoom going, I'm not answering this. And he goes, you know, with all due respect, I would give you a better answer off the record than I am right here. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> and he's not going to tell me that. The next question is essentially the same from – from I think it's John Antonic, and he gives the answer that exactly was what I was looking for, that they are able to keep a defense mismatched and keep the wrong personnel in the field or get the personnel they want in the field and then change their formation so it is an advantage for the offense afterwards. And you're starting to see that. Like I'm not sure that Michael Lachlan scares you in the slot, but if he's running against nobody because you're not taking advantage of him, you don't have a guy who can cover him, he's going to catch that slot slant for like 15 17 yards which happened on the key third down um if you think he's going to be a blocker and he's lined up as that h-back and all of a sudden he's running a wheel route or something like that because a nickelback is more worried about him as a blocker you have a mismatch and all of a sudden they're starting to do things like that and that's that's on top of winston right you know staying in the game in 11 per, or 10 personnel 11 personnel um however they choose to do it with or without a tight end um staying in the game and you know being a running back being a slot guy going vertical running motion stuff too so they're they're getting better and better and stuff like that. I'm not sure they're doing a whole lot more. I think they're doing more with the same number of plays, which is a good, that's a good sign for an offense because maybe they don't have the most weapons. Maybe they don't have the most um, dynamic players or explosive potential, but they do seem to max out who and what they have. So really can't, can't argue with the artist shows. They just got to get better at points. Did you ever think that people would, uh, a big 12 team would be striving to have an offense more like a big 10 team? Yeah, how about that? And it's, maybe that's the Parker influence too. Were you yeah. surprised to learn that they're they snap the ball more than just about anybody else? West Virginia. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, that would surprise me. They're over eighty per game. The differential is about twenty. And again, I think of uh, if you look at total snaps, they're like twelve or thirteen. But eleven teams that are better than them have mm-hmm. played more games. So if you're going on a per-game basis, I think only UCF is averaging more snaps per game. That's wild because UCF is fast and again, terrible on defense. Yes, and, and you mentioned it, you know, when you asked, when you asked Neil Brown about it with the, the snaps, your, your good research question. The, uh, when you watch UCF, you're like, oh, man, these guys are, are really going after it, going fast. And when you watch West Virginia, that does not cross my mind ever. I don't think it's crossed my mind once this year that, whoo, they're, they're – Going fast, playing with your hair on fire and all that. No, but I think a lot of it has to do with that defense getting the, the other teams off the field and just getting the offense back out there. And got that. I feel like that first drive of the second half against Kansas State might have been worthy of 30 plays with how West Virginia ate up, I don't know, however long, eight minutes of that quarter and just kind of slowly moved down the field. Okay. Again, about a 20-snap differential, which – if your offense is like West Virginia's and it's not, it's not going to scare you on every snap and you're going to need 10 plays to score. If you're getting 20 extra snaps a game, you're going to get one or two extra scores because of that too. So 
um, again, they haven't reinvented the wheel. They've they've kind of bought into what they can do, and it's it's made a difference here too. Um, opponent Saturday noon at Daryl K. Royal Texas Memorial Stadium, ranked. They are ranked. Stop arguing with me about this. They are ranked Texas. I don't know what to think of this team, except that they're probably better offensively than the guy, not as good defensively as they get credit for. Yeah, they're a, a confusing team. When I watch that offense and you watch some of these games, you'll just go, um, you know, or in particular the Oklahoma game and the Oklahoma State game, where they'll just go long stretches of being absolutely horrid on offense and incapable of moving the ball down the field and capable of getting in the end zone. And then they'll just be good all of a sudden. And, you know, I asked Chip Brown uh, from our Texas site about it. I said, How, what's the difference? Have you noticed any difference between when they're good and when they're bad, especially even in the same game? And he said that the rhythm is just off because uh, he, he felt like the rhythm was off because Sam Ellinger has not been practicing a lot this year. Yeah, it's been, about that. Of, it, it's been a lot of just showing up to play the games and, and, and not just because, you know, he's a superstar or anything like that, but he actually has been hurt, been taking some shots on the leg when he's been, been hit, you know, helmet to the thigh, which really hobbles him. And, and they try to just rest him up and don't practice him during the week. And, um, you know, that that's, that's for a reason, but it also has some negative side effects. And I think that instability on offense is one of them. Have you watched him play very much this year? Uh, caught all the Oklahoma game, most of the Oklahoma State game, um, and some of the Texas Tech game. So a, a good little bit, yeah. All right, yeah. So when they get behind or it gets urgent, they're okay. So that's that's one thing I think is their hallmark too. But I, I see the team, and I know who their offensive coordinator is. It's Mike Yurcich, who has done wonders at Oklahoma State, Ohio State, and is working now at Texas. He's been around. He's like a hired hand all of a sudden. He's a hot name because he does offense. Those offenses played fast at Oklahoma State and they did and and Ohio State to an extent too and ran RPO stuff I don't know what happened but this team really leaned into the run game and it seems like after the Oklahoma game perhaps in defense of their defense trying to protect that side of the ball and not get into shootouts they really tried to run the ball and slow it down and grind things out and it hasn't completely backfired it's it's by and large worked I mean they got some good wins since then but I, I see two different teams a team that when it's when it's open and they're playing quick with RPO stuff and tempo, Ellinger is good. It lifts his receivers to a different level. And you don't have to lean on running backs who really don't scare you. There's three of them. I'm not sure there's a great one back there, especially now with Ingram missing the game. But that leads me to this. No Ingram. Their offense has been you know, all right, albeit slow. It's this game where they kind of go back to the Yersich mode and say, we'll hand it off when we have to, if we have to. But, man, we got a great quarterback, and we got some receivers who can do some things here. Let's go back to our freewheeling ways because, again, if you have just the two backs and you're not sure about either one of them, it just seems to make more sense to do what you know you can do a little bit better. Yeah, and and I know that's something West Virginia fans are not looking forward to because Ellinger has had some a, a lot of success actually running the ball against West Virginia. They've had success with that. Ellinger drop back and you know throw the ball or just – pounded in over guard and like run a almost like a uh, overpowered eye but with the quarterback as the as the second running back and I think I'm curious to see what they do because like you mentioned Ingram's out the other running backs are almost identical I'll go over that my three keys this morning and see even your dog agrees with me I (laughs) thank you uh that's the best input I've gotten on this podcast. The best rapport we got, being that dog. Yeah. Uh, um, it was like they averaged the same yards per carry, similar yards after contact, similar avoided tackles, similar grades from PFF. Like it, it's it's uncanny how they're all all three of them are just kind of pretty good, and that's about it. And I, so I don't think Ingram missing this game changes too much, but. I there there are some things and we talked about it right before we started. There are some pretty obvious weaknesses in this team. There's some things we don't know about, some things that are good some days, some bad some days. You don't know what it is or why. And but on offense, the right side of their line is terrible. Absolutely terrible. And and it's funny. before I go into the details, I'll let you take it for a second because I think you, you know you asked about it, and I mentioned to you before we got on here. I said there's there are two areas 
one on offense, one on defense, where they are just horrid. And before I could even say anything, you said, oh, right tackle? I was like, yeah, that's one of them. Mm. Their offensive line has played 468 snaps together. Their offense has been, has played just a couple more. So they, they played the same five linemen almost the entire time. And you would think that much time together in the field. And there's some good players who've been around for a couple of years. Their center is a good player. Uh, Kerstetter. Cosme is one of the like the meanest, best guys on the field um, most times when he's out there. You would think they're better than that, too. But, yeah, their left guard, left tackle is, is pretty solid. And I don't know, maybe that's a scheme. Stay away from those guys and, you know, go over to the other player. It's like a cornerback. Maybe you just stay away from the, the left side of the field. The left corner is really good. Maybe you send your pressure to the right. And it looks like they do. I mean, I was going to say it looks like they give up pressure on their right side. But I don't know if it's chicken or egg. Is that because of the guard and tackle? Or is it because teams are overwhelming them there? But, um, again, that's, man, if they get Cowan back, I don't know. But Bartlett, Tyke Smith, whomever is over that right side as a second-level defender, Blitzer. Oof, man, my eyes are wide open on this one. Yeah, right tackle right now, currently, their right tackle, Christian Jones, second in the Big 12. I, I guess this is second most, but second worst. Uh, 20 pressures allowed so far this season at right tackle. And third worst in the Big 12 is their right guard with 16. So, you know, again, that side of the line. And then, as you mentioned, Cosme is one of the best. He's going to be all Big 12 performer. He's He grades out great. So, I, man, now you stumped me, Mike, because before I got on here, I was like, yeah, obviously attack the right side. But you're right. Is it is it a chicken or the egg situation? Is it because everybody's like, yeah, Cosme's way too good. We just need to – we're better off just trying the other side and just overwhelming that side with numbers because it's not so much a rate – of pressures but just a, a total number so maybe it's just a, a numbers game and everybody's going to that side mm-hmm. so to get an answer there i tried to figure out with some run game stuff and what do they do they run between the guards a lot like an alarming number of runs between the guards not between the tackles but between the guards and they use they run to the tight end side a lot which makes me think that it may be a tackle thing um, and a lot of right side tight end stuff so you basically have your a gap b gap c gap that's the center guard guard tackle tackle outside and an extra gap if you have a tight end on the D gap. So their right left side is is pretty significant there. Um, they run better on the right, but they run more on the left. Kind of a weird thing with what we we're just talking about, though, right? Yeah. That so is... Roshan Johnson, who's the converted quarterback, six two two thirty. That's a converted quarterback. Um, here's his his gap numbers: left side, right side. Okay, left side's better. We agree. Yeah. All right, his yards per carry going from inside out on the four gaps on the left side. 0.7, That's not healthy. Right to left, okay, from inside out. 6.8, That's wild. And and the the number of carries are are pretty pretty even. Not not 50-50, but fairly even. And that's going to be a guy who gets a lot of run on Saturday. So look for him to go to the right side and then I don't know Robinson, the freshman, he's going to break through sooner or later. He's too talented to be just kind of a mediocre player, I think. Yeah, former five-star recruit. Uh, again, he's averaging 4.6 yards, just like Ingram, just like uh, Johnson. Mm-hmm. But, you know, grading out the lowest of them, of all three of them, I think that's probably in part because there might be a few plays where uh, he probably should have got more. He has the lowest avoided tackle rate, the lowest yards after contact of the three. So he... He hasn't quite hit it yet, but again, freshman. He's a freshman, so there might come a time where it kind of clicks for him and he takes off. Yeah, I just those two are gonna have to get, you know, I don't know, thirty carries, thirty-six yeah. carries, I think, unless you start traditional running uh, Ellinger. But uh, they have eighty-two carries on the year, um, if my math is right. Thirty of them have gone between the guards too. So I don't know if that's because they keep it simple or if that's what they're best at on offense, but it seems to be what they do. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I think this is going to be the last time that we have to talk about, or get to talk about, depending on your perspective, Sam Ellinger on a pregame podcast. I believe this is eight or nine, right? Yeah, it sure is. It's a lock. He comes back next year, right? I don't know. How many how many graduate degrees can you get? I just feel like he's the guy who's going to be in college for six years one way or the other. Why not, right? Well, I mean, does he – I was going to say, I don't think he has a future in the NFL, no. So, I – who knows? If, if he can find some kind of backup gig somewhere, maybe he decides it, but – I don't think I'll ever think of him other than Texas quarterback. So, yeah, I think that'd be it. You don't think he's got like a Taysom Hill feature? Maybe he's no. a tight end? No. Tight end? I don't know. The Taysom Hill talk gets me too much. I can't do it too much. Why does I think, that hurt? I think, I think, no, I just think the Saints waste too many plays on, you know, trying to get him involved in quirky ways. And 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 screw some things up sometimes, even if he is pretty good. Six three two twenty five. He's not a running back fast enough. He's not a receiver fast enough. I wonder if it's a, a chance for him to do something there. And I don't know. Could he play special teams like Taysom Hill? I don't know, but I wonder. I just think scouts are going to love him. And and they've. I mean, yeah, is he the most talented player? No. Is he the most talented quarterback? Heck no. But I think they like him. They see what he can do, and I wonder if they'll give him a shot somewhere. I'd be surprised he's not on a roster somewhere or the other. But um, listen, this is this is their offense, especially with a. A diluted running game here too. I don't know. I don't know what they do to to fall behind a game because I look at the talent they have and some of their numbers, like the explosive plays, the yardage, and all that stuff. Some of that could be misleading. I know, but um, <laughs> what do you do to stop him or contain him? Because there's a million theories. Oh, put a spy on. Uh, oh, play zone so you never keep your eyes off him. Or play man to man and see if he can beat you as a passer. Four years in, what do we know about this guy that's effective? That's foolproof plan to stop him. I. I don't know if there is one because the the spy situation's curious to me. I, I, I'm I'm uncertain who you would spy with. I know everybody's going to say, "Oh, Tony Fields, duh," but I don't know. I mean, that's probably the best answer for West Virginia is him spying, of course. But even that's going to be a tough matchup, just because I think Ellinger is a little more shifty and a, and a pretty cerebral player. And Fields is just gut instinct go. And I think Ellinger can get him out of position and kind of just sneak by him and and get some yards. But um, I don't think zone is a good idea. Because he, I think you have to force Ellinger to to make the tough throws. And and you're going to get that more often in man than you're going to get in zone. And the reason I say that is because the Texas Longhorn receivers have the best completion rate not, or the best drop rate, as in the lowest drop rate mm-hmm. of anyone in the Big 12. And the the problem is, you know, the numbers are lower for the uh, completion percentage for Texas. I'm sorry, the, the, the completion percentage is lower because Ellinger does not throw enough quote-unquote catchable balls per pro football focus as a lot of other quarterbacks. So I think you have to get in a man. You have to make him try to throw into tight windows because if you go into zone and you give him areas that he can kind of, you know, throw into without a a tight coverage, those receivers are going to catch it. I think the receivers for Texas are better at catching the ball than they are at getting open. Yeah, that's fair. Um, there's a great piece on the Horns 24-7 site from the aforementioned Chip Brown where he talked to some assistant coaches who have seen or played Texas, it sounds like, mm-hmm. and they just trashed the receivers. Just killed really? them. Yeah, wow. and basically saying that, like, we're not sure that West Virginia's corners are good enough to play press man, but West Virginia's corners had better play press man because, again, it disrupts their RPO stuff and it makes Ellinger sit in the pocket, sit in the pocket. And is he going to hit a bunch of 20... 30-yard pass plays? Probably not. Um, 
but he can hit a couple. The talent's there. And if you mess up and press man, if a guy beats you, then listen, you're one-on-one outside, and all of a sudden it's one-on-none. It's a big play. How many times is he going to run the ball, whether by design or by necessity, before it becomes like a, a, a subconscious thing? Like, I can't run it. I've run it the last three times. I've run it seven times already. Um, so basically, like, what that's that's their plan. It's like, all right, disrupt him, cover him, and make him do something because he does. He plays with the ball a lot. I'll get to those numbers in a second. Like, he has the ball a lot. And then sometimes he runs, sometimes he doesn't. He gets 25 scrambles on the year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a lot. And the receivers just aren't great out there, too. But here's the thing. That West Virginia will play some man. They're, by and large, a zone team that plays a ton of quarters, quarters coverage, which is like your four safeties – excuse me, your, your four defensive backs, your two safeties and your two corners play a quarter of the field. Um, and you can tell when they're locked in in their zones like they were against Kansas State, you're not getting first downs against them because they're going to layer it and you're going to have to get it over, you know, Tyke Smith, over Tony Fields, over Josh Chandler, and then make sure that some corner or some safety doesn't come up and pop you because, I mean, they, they played zone and they played underneath coverage perfectly at times against Kansas State. I would imagine that they're just going to get better and better at that. And I think you can make an argument of, can they get open against zone um, versus man-to-man? I mean, if they're not great against the press, sure. That doesn't mean they're going to get into space against zone either. I think that's a fascinating dynamic because the book says press these guys are not that good. It disrupts their RPO stuff and the timing that has to be there. But maybe they're not good enough to beat you in zone either, especially if that's what you're good at. That's To me, that's a really compelling matchup to watch. Yeah, and the other the other problem is, is if you can disrupt them, <clears throat> Ellinger holds on to the ball because because you're talking about the, the press man stuff, and this is why I think it 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 would work is because it delays that RPO just like you mentioned. And Ellinger currently, out of the 55 eligible quarterbacks, this is amazing. Go ahead. Ranks 53rd in time, you know, from release for how long he holds onto the ball. 53rd out of 55 quarterbacks between snap and when he releases the ball on a pass attempt. So that that's a lot again, that's a lot of time to get out there and you have a whole a very weak right side, but again, it, the, these kind of uh man, my my economics degree is not helping me out here. There was something I can't remember what it's called where they influence each other here cuz is he holding on to it forever or more sacks because the right line's bad or does the right line seem bad because he's holding on to the ball forever? Um but that's a long time, and if you can get pressure on him, and that's again, like you said, that's a key reason why some teams say it's a good way to go with him. He's going to hold on the ball. He's going to get sacked, or you're going to force him to scramble. And if you have a guy that can keep up with him on the scramble, that might be the move. I don't know. It's tough. I, I think over the years that, but I guess that goes to your point. We're four years into this now, and there's still no definitive game plan against him. Yeah, he's a good college player. He just is. I mean, he he yeah. knows how to beat some defenses because he's a little bit faster, stronger, and and he can. Defenses have quote unquote rules, principles, guidelines, whatever you want to call them. He knows how to break them, so that's that's good on him. Uh, yeah, we mentioned before when we covered the Texas Tech game, Alan Bowman was the fastest from snap to pass, two seconds, and Columbia was like two point one three or something. Ellinger's two point eight three. That's ridiculous. And then again, I don't think anybody is slower with the ball in the pocket. He's over three seconds time in the pocket. Most guys are bailing about two and a half. That's why Pro Football Focus goes with a uh, over two and a half, under two and a half. When he has more than two and a half seconds, 15 touchdown passes this year, and he's 72 mm-hmm. out of 34, which is kind of a, an all or nothing. It's um, it's like baseball right now. You're going to get a strikeout or a home run. But his 15 touchdowns and his 53% completion percentage when he has the ball in his hands for two and a half or more seconds, that's kind of where it is. It's like an all or nothing prospect there, too, which makes me think, man, you may play zone. One, it's what you're good at. But two, um, half the time is going to be an incomplete pass. I, I, I like that more than we're going to man him up and – we're not be able to get to an angle or a corner. We're going to get blocked. And all of a sudden, you know, you're plastering coverage and you're doing scramble drills and he's flicking it over your head and making something bad happen to your defense. Um, uh, that's, that's the game in the game. That might even be the game. I don't want to simplify it to one person or one matchup. It's more than that. But I think at the end of the day, if you look at like how they defended the receivers and did those receivers beat whatever they threw out there, that's to me probably the most important matchup. What about the other side of the ball? You got anything over there? Anything that sticks out to you? I love watching that Osai play against Oklahoma State, man. He was he was a four. I mean, his stats are what they were, but he was hurt. I think they say he's playing in a shoulder brace, and you wouldn't know it. Um, and, and he didn't have a perfect game. He got 
he got beat up a little bit. He got knocked down a couple times. There's I forget there's one sequence where he gets pancaked really good or he gets double teamed and is thrown out of the play. Next thing you know, he's in there getting a sack in the next play or getting a TFL in the next play. He's got a really good motor and and they move him around to do some things with him where he's he's one of the more destructive defensive players there. Like Bernard is a better overall player and Fields is like the leading tackler. I get all that stuff. When you're looking at like a single person who can just take your plans and ball him up and throw him in the garbage because he's not going to be stopped. He's one of those guys that really does concern you. Uh, he might be an early front runner for Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Like, he's got to be in that conversation, I think. He, he just seems so disruptive. I think he was otherworldly in that Oklahoma State game. Um, but swinging the other way, like, you you want to try to scheme away from Osai, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and the guy you kind of want to target is, um, in, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing this wrong, but Chris Adamora, Adamora, mm-hmm. uh, their slot cornerback. It just, every single team that has lined up against them this year has had a field day attacking him. Uh, in the last four games, teams have completed 21 of 27 passes in his direction for 202 yards and a touchdown uh, against Oklahoma State the Cowboy receivers, and it wasn't, I, I think only one of these um, was Tylen Wallace. And, and every, but the whole team was seven of nine for 77 yards. Like, <laughs> it, it, it's not been one game that's been bad. It's not been a couple games. It's not been one receiver that ate him up. It has been consistently every single game, every single receiver all year long. And he's grading out by far the lowest on the team on defense. Terrible in coverage, 53.0. Um, and it, this might work out in West Virginia's favor because a lot of the times he's going to be that the guy that's lined up across the slot, across the guy that's going across the middle, and that's where West Virginia has done well in the passing game. Yep. Um, and again, they're manipulating that slot guy now too. Sometimes it's a tight end. Sometimes it's Winston Wright. It's Sam James now too. But they're they're also they're isolating that guy sometimes where you got to guard that guy in the slot and – I don't like your chances against Winston right in the slot. He's going to get open. And if you're one-on-one out there, and sometimes there are final ways to do that. And not because they empty that side of the field, but because they'll motion that outside guy really close to right, or they'll motion right to a situation where they're going to isolate him in a one-on-one. And I don't like your odds against Winston right right now too, or maybe even Sam James. Sam James has been quiet. Um, Wright's been better. He's been a more focal part of the offense, but that slot has TJ Simmons back now. They're playing a Lachlan there too. There's again, like I said, this with their personnel and the way they're using you know, 11 personnel to get into different, really to even get into 10 personnel with 11 personnel. What, what I mean by that is a Lachlan can shift from tight end to receiver, and it's not a big issue. That, that's a problem. So you got to have your your situations pre-programmed almost, too, where if they do get into tempo, then you have to know how to get out of trouble. And can they do that with just traditional stuff? We'll see. I mean, the answer right now is not resounding yes, but um, and I don't think the people are in love with their safeties either, too. Stearns hasn't been I think quite what everybody wanted to. Um, Foster has kind of been in and out of the lineup, but looks like he's a good player. He's willing. I'm trying to think of the guy's name. He's a Chris Brown. They have mm-hmm. okay ratings there too, but they, they give up some plays sometimes in the passing game too. So we'll see how aggressive they are and what they do. The one guy that also is fun to watch, and I think fans will remember him from last year, is Jamison, the corner. Uh, he's pretty good. Um, and he's going to be on the right side pretty much the whole game. So that's going to be – um, your Sean Ryan, your who else plays outside? No, I can't even forget because Jennings is on the left with Wheaton, right? Yeah. So your right's going to be Sean Ryan, Sam Brown. Sam Brown, I was gonna say, that, that was who came in second, yeah. Have not heard anything from those guys lately. Like 50 something snaps for Ryan without a catch. Brown played just a handful of snaps. They haven't gotten a whole lot out of that position, and they're going to have to do something there, too. Because one, he's a good player now. Do you stay away from him? I don't know. Maybe you do. If they don't, if he doesn't hurt you, Maybe you don't hurt him. Maybe that's an even trade-off, too. But two picks last year, and one, he's he's really dangerous in special teams, too. But he's he's a solid corner, too. The other side, though, is, has been – I wouldn't say bad, though. Like their corners aren't the issue on their defense. I'm not sure what the issue is with their, with their defense, apart from you know, they play some pretty good offensive teams. Yeah, I think – I was going to say, there are some decent players. There's some guys that had some up games, some down games. But, you know, when I'm going game by game, looking at all these players and how they are for the whole year – it's you really don't want to change your game plan or your scheme too much for a lot of these guys. And then it's the two guys that we mentioned right off the bat, uh, Osai, you want to avoid 
Adamora, you want to attack. And other than that, you kind of just got to feel it out, see how it goes, and see if your guys can win some one-on-ones. But those those two those two guys, for better and worse, you, you really got a game plan around. The trouble with Osiah is he was pretty much a right outside player, you know, defensive end, stand-up linebacker, something like that. And you can see when you look at the snap counts on paper, a little bit more even, a little bit more even, and then just about even left, right. So they they figured out you can't block this guy. You're, you're going to yeah. try, but you can't. And if we move him around, that's going to compromise your plans because then you can't say we're not going to the right side on this play because Osai is going to be there because you do that, it's third and one, and you're going left, and all of a sudden there's Osai on the left, and he's coming through, and he's going to get a stop or a TFL or something like that. And then your plan is ruined, so he's he's good. And the other thing is, like we talk about how Bartlett and Pikey Smith, they should have wide eyes for their matchups. They're not the same player. They can do similar things. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. So you can't say we're going to get away from 50 on this play because we don't want to get a pass rush. Well, guess what, man? Smith is blitzing more now, and he's smart enough where he knows how to bail on plays and go after the ball if he sees it too. So um, you can do that with their defense a little bit. The way it's schemed is with the personnel is not even. I understand that. 23 is not the same as 50, but they can do similar things where you can't necessarily scheme your way around it. Can Texas do that? I don't know. We'll see, but uh, Osai is definitely a guy to put that fluorescent arrow over during the game and figure out where he is and how that matches up in your game plan. You might also say, we'll go at him. We'll see what we can do. Let's not run away from him. Let's not let's not cut away half of our field and half of our game plan because of one player, too. That's another matchup to watch. How often will they go at him? Will they be deterred? Will they be determined? We'll find out. Well, we got... Um, I'm trying to think the... the Oh man, what was that? I was trying to look. The there was a line and not the line for the game. There, uh, line for the game, by the way, six and a half points in favor of Texas. They are, I think it was one and four against the spread this year. I don't want to get too much into the uh, into the betting thing and who's going to win this game and who's not going to win this game. But when I was asked about that by our Texas site, you know how 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 do I play this game out? They I guess they asked me for my prediction. My first prediction was it's going to be ugly, just an mm-hmm. ugly, ugly game because I think you got one, you got West Virginia has got a great defense. Uh, both teams have inconsistent offenses, I think is a fair thing to say. And they are number one and number two in penalties, both teams, Texas somehow. Yeah. With with more penalties than West Virginia or more penalty yards than West Virginia per game, so I, I think it's going to be. I, I'm not picturing a 49-45 game. I'm picturing 27-24 with 20 penalties and four turnovers. Uh, is that too far off? West Virginia loses that game. That's the way that goes. You think so? Yeah. Because three of those turnovers are coming from them, right? <laughs> yeah. And they're going to commit the. I just don't think that's. I think that they. I don't think that they can muck their way through a bad game against a good team. And we've seen that. Like they haven't done that yet. And Texas Tech is not good. And they tried to muck their way through that, and they couldn't. When they played clean, they dominated Kansas State, and that wasn't perfect. I get that there were some small penalties. There was a turnover that was again largely inconsequential. But I don't think that they're at that point where you can say we're going to play mediocre football with some mistakes and beat a good team. Otherwise they'd be five and one or they wouldn't have a loss where one is right now against either Oklahoma state or Texas tech. I'm not saying they should be undefeated, but I don't think of their team that can do that. Now, can they play clean and beat Texas is clean? That's a really good question. I don't think that's out of the question. I think their clean game can beat Texas's clean game. And that's probably where they want to get to. They can't control Texas's clean game. They can try to, for lack of a better phrase, muddy some things up, you know, create some pressure, see if you get Ellinger to make a mistake, get a bunch of TFLs, whatever maybe make something happen in the return game, but do what you do, control what you control, no penalties, no turnovers, you know, get, get touchdowns in the red zone or don't get empty red zone possessions, just simple stuff. I'm not asking for Herculean tasks, but if you can, if you can replicate the Kansas state game, I think you can win. Yeah. I think if you can, if you can play like you played against Kansas state, I think West Virginia can, can beat every team in this league. Um, Cause I think, you know, I, like you mentioned, it, it wasn't perfect, but it was the most complete game that this team has played all year. And I think that is, I don't know, uh, percentage-wise on it, it was 80%, 85% of maybe what they're capable of. 
And and if they can do that every game, then then you know they can finish seven and three uh, or something like that. So, it, is that the start of the trend? Because the trend had been West Virginia incapable of playing a complete game, uh, incapable of not shooting itself in the foot. So I'm um, I'm curious if that's the start of the trend or if that's the exception that pulls a rule, you know, proves a rule or whatever, which team this is. And maybe this is the game that we find out. Yep. It feels like you got to play clean. Um, it just, you can't give away snaps or possessions for a team that is at home and, and has an offense that can put some numbers up on you if you're not careful. So, uh, you know, sloppiness will hurt you there too. So still, it seems weird to me that West Virginia is four and four against Texas in the big 12, but three and one at Texas too. This has been a mixed bag experience for, you know, nine seasons now. I think Neil Brown was pretty clear there's zero rivalry potential here. They still have, <laughs> they've had memorable games. And, and let's let's be honest, Texas has been good to West Virginia in, in all sports. Um, yeah. But football, I mean, to get four wins and three on the road against Texas and win some some high-profile, highly visible games from the beginning of the series to recently, uh, it's been a good opponent for them, whether, you know, benevolent or exposure or whatever, but the Longhorns have been nice to West Virginia. Yeah. I, I mean, not only the wins, but like you said, so, some high profile ones, I think, you know, the two that obviously come to mind, 2012, 2018, those are two nationally televised, everybody in the country, all the recruits get to see. And maybe two of the most memorable games in the entire big 12 since you know West Virginia and TC joined in 2012, mm. I, I mean, I know there's been a lot of good ones. I'm not saying like two of the top three, but like you know two of the top 15 or something like that. And and yeah. the Baylor game, the very first one, you know that's West Virginia involved in three of the biggest or, or the most entertaining uh, Big 12 games in the last you know eight nine years. Texas has played six games. Three have gone to overtime this year. Same, same thing happened a couple years ago. I think they had three overtime games in 2017 or 2018. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, the series here, last year, closer than an 11-point game, but it was an 11-point game. Uh, one point the year before, two scores the year before that, four points, 18 points, 17 points, and then seven points and three points. So most of these are one score or two scores, but really a one-score game, too. Um, the answer is 50-50 because it will or it won't. What is the likelihood, though, that this game ends up in overtime? Uh, you're right. 50, 50. I think it's, it's a pretty good chance. Cause I think these two teams are pretty evenly matched. And, um, I, I think, you know, again, Texas is, has been there a lot. These two teams are even, I think you'll see, I, I think you'll definitely see it come down to the wire in the, in the fourth quarter. Again, like, like you said, maybe it's one of those games where it's a four point game and one team's driving to take the lead, but then they screw up fumble and the other team scores, and then it's 11, and it just seems worse. But I think it's going to be somebody's going to have a chance to tie or win the game in the fourth quarter. I'm excited. It's always fun when these two teams get together. Um, you have weird things happen, offensive linemen catching touchdowns, pinky fingers getting rearranged, uh, memorable finishes, um, 12 players on the field in the final snap of the game. There's always something there to talk about <laughs> here. And Again, when it's Texas, too, right or wrong, real – talk or mythology whatever texas is texas so it, it matters a little bit more in the conference on the football field too so um i think we'll be entertained on this one mike called it a rivalry i heard it <laughs> clip it <laughs> series series, series. That? okay yeah. okay all right all right all right i'm out of words we're almost out of time you got anything you want to promote plug push in here no just posted the three key matchups by the time you get to listen to this it's already up uh we'll have a couple more videos and then content recap in the morning before and hopefully an updated depth chart and travel roster and um and everything else that comes with it before the game speaking of shenanigans it's a popular word this week do you have the uh, texas game notes in front of you <laughs> uh i do now all right table of contents on uh -huh. the front page Yep. Gray box left side. Uh, what page is the depth chart on? 30. Chris, please go to page 33. 31, 32, 34. How about that? How the, about the, that? The game notes that they put out to the media that the other team absolutely positively devours. 
they get stats, they get positions, they get playing time. I, I promise you those are for the media, but coaches and staffers get their hands on those too. There's no depth chart for Texas in there. That's the first time I think that's happened this year. Yeah, uh, it is the first because I went back and looked to see, you know, about guys starting at certain positions and how much they played, how much this O line's been together. And each week, I've been able to go back and see the game notes for each week for Texas. And there has been a depth chart in there every single time. I'm sure it's just oversight. I'm sure, I'm sure it is. Like when, the, like when Tennessee had a roster with no heights and weights for an entire summer before they play West Virginia. Just a clerical error. I, I won't touch that, and I'm glad I didn't find this out when I was doing some radio spots in Texas because I think that was the game where, where Holerson joked about it. And I got asked about it on a radio station in Nashville. Uh, it was outside of Nashville. And, and, and no, I don't, I don't mean Knoxville for the listeners that are freaking out that Tennessee's in Knoxville. I, I mean Nashville. Um, and they asked me about that. I made one little comment about it. And I had Vol Twitter in my replies hey. for a month. Like it could not, could not get rid of it. Um, so I'm glad we didn't find this out. And I make a snarky comment down in Austin or something and, and have a bunch of Texas fans all on my Twitter. It's curious. Uh, I'll tell you what, I know the WV was really mad about that, that one summer because it, one, it just made no sense. And they're like, why is it like this? And that was, that was the prudent way we found out pretty quickly. He's, he's really close to the vest on things like that, but uh, an online roster with no heights and weights. And you're kind of like, what are we doing? Why do we even care? Like that's, that guy's going to start. Is he not going to start because he's six, one instead of six, three, come on, what are we doing here? So yeah. I, I have no idea what the purpose is here. Is a gamesmanship? I don't know. They can go back and watch film and figure it out. Maybe it's just oversight, but it, it did make me laugh a little bit, especially because uh, maybe Texas is trying to get one back after the uh, field goal shenanigans by <laughs> Oklahoma State last week. I uh, Somehow I missed that. I didn't see the, the video board back there. But, uh, you know, I we have we are on record on this podcast as being uh, uh, proponents of Gee. rule bending. Um, for some reason, that felt like too much to me. Did that feel like too much to you? I love the idea, but even I was a bit uncomfortable with that going. Yeah. That's that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a bit I, much. I couldn't explain it, but I saw it and I was like, eh, that doesn't sit right. I don't know about that one. But my question is, uh, they, they used that right away. It was for like the first field goal, right? Yeah. Aren't you saving that for like a critical, critical moment? Well, yeah, I, that's that's a good point. That is a good point. Proof again that you can't trust Oklahoma State at home. No, you cannot. No, you cannot. All right. Well, you can trust me at home now because I have the sparkling Wi-Fi. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, everybody enjoys this. It sounds better. You know, we got some feedback, and I'm glad it. I'm glad it's working. It sounds better to me. Um, so, we'll keep improving over here. All right. We will catch you all after the game Saturday, and then the Q and A again on Monday. Get your answers in in between the game, but. Before that, enjoy the game. It should be entertaining. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.